0: Father, we thank you that we can come this time to again examine your holy word. And Father, as we look at this very difficult passage in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, one of the most difficult passages in Scripture, Father, we do not presume to know all of your truth, but Father, with our best knowledge and ability, we again come before your presence and we pray that your Holy Spirit will take these words and make them yours, what you want to do in our lives. But Father, I want to pray especially for those who are hearing this sermon with a heavy heart that are waiting, that are feeling the weight of the world upon them. Father, may this sermon draw them closer to you, that you may reveal, Lord God, your truth and your timing to each one of us. So Father, as we come humbly to your word, we pray that you will take over. In Jesus' name. Amen. Reformer John Calvin loved to write, but often he never got the chance or the freedom to write uh, because he was a pastor. But one time in 1538, he was kicked out of his church in Geneva, and while he was in Strasbourg, he had time, finally, to write his first commentary. His first commentary on the epistle to the Romans and role of the press in uh, 1540. But the next year, 1541, the church, the city of uh, Geneva, begged him to come back to be their pastor, and very reluctantly, Calvin went back to become the pastor. And due to the busyness of pastoral ministry, John Calvin didn't get to write again until five years later, in 1546, when he released his commentary on 1 Corinthians. After which his muse began working over time, and he began to work on 2 Corinthians. And he began this book on the commentary on 2 Corinthians in a, in a flurry. And from his records we know that he wrote at least 17,000 words in three days. That's a hundred pages. And he finished this commentary very quickly. And in late uh, July 1546, he sent the manuscript, the only copy that he had uh, by way of career, to be printed. While uh, this manuscript was being sent to be printed, he had no back and it went missing for at least an entire month. And back in Geneva, a very anxious Calvin began to be pounding and uh, began to be very anxious and he even wrote, If if my commentary is ever lost, I would never return to Paul again. That is, I would never write anything about Scripture and about Paul's words again. He looked to his friends for comfort, uh, but rather than consoling him, his friend William Farrell wrote to him and said, Given that mothers do not neglect their children, You too should have sent out the fruit of the Lord's labor with greater care. Ouch! Apparently, uh, William Farrell didn't really take into care to comfort his good friend. And a month later, the word finally reached Calvin that his manuscript has been found and was set to print. And no explanation has been given why it was lost for a month. But at least that gave John Calvin's some belief. I like this story because it shows us another side to John Calvin. He was not just staunch, stoic theologian and pastor, but John Calvin himself faced desperate times too. That's why I love this story. I love to hear about John Calvin and how he faced desperate times and how he felt anxious and how he would even say desperate things that I'll never touch Paul Again, because all of us, regardless of our stature in the Lord, regardless of our positions in the church, do face desperate and anxious times. We may not admit it to other people, but often in our hearts, we often face desperate times. And this happened to the prophet Daniel too. Daniel, though he was a great prophet of God, though he stood up against uh, uh, the oppositions of his day across two great empires, and stood his ground to uh, to assert the gospel that he stands for God, and that God is the only one who can save him in this time, and though he was such a powerful giant in the Lord, we see also a softer side of Daniel, a more humane side of Daniel, that he too was anxious too and desperate. And that's where we come to Daniel chapter 9, the nerve center of the book. It's one of the most tender chapters in the book of Daniel because we see Daniel desperate and we see Daniel anxious. Unfortunately, many commentators, when they come to Daniel chapter 9, just cloud it up with lots and lots of speculation and make it so complicated that you have a lot of a headache just reading the commentaries on Daniel chapter 9. But that's to miss the point, because it's one of the most tender passages of Scripture, whereby the prophet Daniel, in his brokenness, when he was just broken, prayed to the Lord for help. So let's look into Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is situated in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes. It's in the Persian period. That means that the Persians had just overthrown the Babylon. There was a new empire on the rise. And there was something heavy on Daniel's heart. Yes, a new empire is on the rise again. Yes, the Babylonians are gone, but here is a more evil and much more powerful empire, known as the Persians and the Medes on the rise. What will happen to the Jews and God's kingdom? And here is Daniel studying the prophecies of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had prophesied that after 70 years of exile, God will restore the land of Israel. He will bring his nation back. They will rebuild their lives, their temple, their worship, and their beloved land. But time is running up. The 70 years are almost over. And here, Daniel was still very much seeing nothing happen. If we read through the book of Daniel, Daniel seems to have always been acting on his own. Yes, yes, sure, they were his friends, but after they had been sent away into the provinces of Babylon, it was always Daniel acted very much on his own. We don't hear about other Jews coming alongside of him to pray with him when he was about to be thrown into the, Daniels, into the lion's den. We don't hear his fellow Jews supporting him, speaking up for him. So he was Daniel alone by himself. And meanwhile, King Darius was surrounded by his royal administrators, his prefects, his satraps, his advisors, and his governors, Got in chapter 6 verse 7. And here Daniel was very much on his own. And here Daniel, just like John Calvin, anxious and desperate. So he prays to God. He prays to God that God will remember his covenant with Israel. So we read in chapter 9 verse 4, the words of Daniel, I pray to the Lord my God and confess Lord the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Here Daniel is reminding God, God you have made a covenant with Israel you have uh, in fact uh, the, uh, you made this covenant with Israel but where are you now? Where are our people? Why are our people not returning? To Jerusalem, why are the foreigners still reigning? When will we get our land back? And throughout this prayer, Daniel keeps reminding God of the covenant that God has made with his people. So he uses in verses 2, 4, 10, 13, 14, and 20 God's own personal name, Yahweh. A name that's not often used throughout the book. Here, God, Daniel. Specifically and repeatedly uses God's name, Yahweh, Yahweh. Why? Because that's God's name as God has revealed to them, to the Israelites, through His covenant, God's covenantal name. So, what does God have to say in response to this very anxious, lonely, and desperate Daniel? God's answer comes in the form of a vision, which is contained here in Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 to 27 which will be our focus for this morning. In this vision, God says two things to Daniel and to each one of us who are desperate and anxious. Two things. Number one, the first thing that God says to us is what? Time belongs to him. Time belongs to God. While Daniel was praying, we are told that the angel Gabriel revealed a vision to him. The vision unfolds like this, verse 24, Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy Place, or to anoint the Most Holy One, more accurately. The key to understanding this vision very interesting vision that's complexed (laughs) many preachers and scholars. The key is the number seven. This whole vision revolves around seventy sevens. What does seventy sevens mean? God through the angel divides time into multiples of seven. Why? Daniel has been asking God to remember the covenant that he has made with Israel. And God here is saying, you must remember that when I made the covenant with Moses, the sign, one of the signs of the covenant, that my people is very near to me is what? It's the sign of the Sabbath, Exodus chapter 31, the Sabbath. Every seventh day, my covenantal people will celebrate the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a reminder that it's God himself who made this entire cosmos in six days and no one can contest his his, his creation and God therefore wants the people to celebrate with them at the seventh day that every seventh day they should remember that God is the covenantal God who saves them who is the Savior and nobody can ever attest his saving power every seventh and here Daniel, the angel is saying to Daniel time is not yours Time belongs to God. Time is divided into multiples of seven to show that time belongs to God, the Creator. The time does not belong to us. And here this vision unfolds around 77. That is 77 years. That is 490 years. Time for God is divided into multiples of seven or seven. The reason why Daniel and us get anxious and desperate is because we think that time belongs to us. I need to get married by 30 years old. I need to buy a house by age 35. I need to own uh, two homes by age 40. I need to do this by this age. I need to do this. But wait a minute. We want things to happen according to our own timetable. And when we do not get those things done, we get anxious and desperate. But here God is saying, no, time does not belong to you. And the fact that time does not belong to you is because time is divided into seven. It belongs to me. Every seven days you are to rejoice that I give you this time. And all your future should be developed, divided into sevens because you, it belongs to me. Therefore, we can't Relax. Time is not ours, it belongs to God. This past week you may have heard about the untimely death of Jew's uh, World. Jew's World, for those of you who are not uh, keen to, to current entertainment, is a rap artist who, who was on the pink of his career. He had six platinum singles, he had just one Billboard's Top New Artist Award and he was on his way to recording his third album. Juice world was on top of the entertainment world. But on December the 8th, while he was boarding a private jet to Chicago, he and his entourage were carrying handguns with him and had 70 pounds, that's 32 kilograms of marijuana, on the aircraft. And he was on top of the world, he thought he was invincible, he thought he was the man with the guns and the drugs. But when Jules Wall arrived in Chicago, before the authorities could even question him about the guns and the drugs, he was in the airport, he was confiscating, and he was uh, in seizure. The seizures attacked him, and presumably from the drugs that he, was take, he was taking, he was, he was uh, not himself. And he was suffering under the attack of seizures. He was alive at the airport but when they brought him to the nearby hospital through the ambulance, he was pronounced dead on arrival. Jew's world was on top of his career. He was only 21 years old. He had everybody in the entertainment world wanting to work with him. But time was not on his side. Time does not belong to us. It belongs to God. That's why the angel divided time into multiples of seven, because time belongs to the God of creation. Number two, when we're anxious and desperate, God says, not only time does not belong to us, number two, time is a servant of the gospel. Time is a servant of the gospel. In the vision, the angel tells us that there will be seventy sevens to come, Daniel, This means that the vision is concerned with the next 490 years, according to verse 24. And this 490 years is to do six things. Number one, to finish up transgression, to make an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, number three, number four, to bring everlasting righteousness, number five, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy One. NIV has it holy place, but the original Hebrew only has holy. And I think it's better to translate it as a holy one. What is the angel trying to get at here? It's then don't worry. Time belongs to God, and God will work it out. Because in the next four hundred ninety years, God will take care of sin. He will put an end to all this transgression. You see, He will set up His everlasting righteousness, and He will anoint the. Holy One. So verse 25 tells us that God will send His Messiah. The Messiah will come, and He will rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So verse 25 tells us from that time on, the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Holy One, the ruler, comes, and that with 77s and the 62 sevens, it will rebuild. Uh, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench in time of trouble. So what the angel is saying is that Daniel, relax, because very soon you will hear a word will go out that Jerusalem will be restored. And we know that this came true through the Edict of Cyrus, as given in Ezra chapter 1 verses 2 to 4, that the first step of God progressing with this plan is that God will start rebuilding Jerusalem and uh, the streets and trenches will be rebuilt. But we'll be in time of trouble because the foreigners are still around. They're still under the reign of the Persians and later the Solicites and later on uh, the Romans. The trouble will still be around, but Jerusalem will be rebuilt. But after Jerusalem will be rebuilt, what happens? Verse 25 tells us that after it's being rebuilt, the anointed one will come. He will be the ruler that will come and there will be seventy sevens and 62 sevens. Then on the 62-7th, 62 62 the Anointed One will come. The Hebrew word for Anointed One here is Messiah, which means, which is Messiah. Most evangelical scholars agree that the Messiah mentioned here is Jesus himself. That is after Jerusalem is being built under the Edict of Osiris, um, the, the temple will be rebuilt, the Messiah himself will come, and verse 25 calls this Messiah a Najid. Throughout the book of Daniel, the other kings in the book is often called Malak, which is the normal word for kings. But this messiah is not your average Malak. He's not your average king. He's a Najit, a leader, a prince, a different type of king. What's what's different about this messiah? How is his kingship different from the kingships of Cyrus and, and Darius and Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar? How is Jesus different from the king's in Daniel? We find out in verse 26, after the sixty two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. This king will be put to death. He will die for his people, which is in a strong contrast to King Darius. When Daniel was thrown into the lions' den, what did the king do? All the king could do was He would only spend time in his palace worrying and staying from food and praying that Daniel would be fine. But this king that will come is different. He will die for the people. He will become part of them and he will die and will go into the lion's den for his people. And this Messiah will also incite people, that is the Romans, and the, and he will verse twenty seven destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue on to the end, and desolation have been decreed. He will rise raise up the Romans to attack those who do not obey him, and those who are evil. He will get rid of evil once in, uh, uh, the, uh, by. Inciting the Romans to destroy the city in the century, and we know that this happened in AD 70 when the Romans destroyed finally the Temple of the Lord. Yet those who are obedient to Him, what will happen? The Bible tells us that in the final seventh, which is the Jubilee, the climax of all celebration. The Sabbath is the is a celebration weekly. The the final Jubilee is the find is the climax of all celebrations. What will the Messiah do? verse 27, he will confirm the covenant with many for one seventh. That means that the climax of all of these things will happen when the Messiah forms a new beret, will cut a new covenant with his people, with many. And the middle of the, the seventh he will put an end to the sacrifice and the offerings. That is, through this new period, this new covenant that the Messiah will set up with his people, though after he has been crucified and he has been raised to life, it will put an end to the sacrificial system. And, and this has been done in a couple of ways. That Jesus not only fulfilled the sacrificial system, but also the Romans destroyed the temple and the sacrificial system. So in a very short nutshell, what the angel Gabriel is trying to do is to show Daniel that time exists to unravel the gospel of God. God has given us time so that his gospel can be unraveled. So what is God saying to us? Don't be afraid, I've not lost track of time. Time is mine. I have created this six days uncontested and have asked you to rest on the seventh. All of this time I will be in control. Sin will ultimately be wiped out. I will send my Messiah who is different from all the kings and he will set up a new covenant with many through his death and resurrection. Let's bring this home to ourselves. What are some take-home points for us? two things time belongs to god when we are anxious and we're desperate ask yourself why are you anxious and desperate many a times we do that because we think that we need to get things done in our time but the bible tells us that time belongs to god secondly time is given to us for one reason to unravel the gospel and that's what The angel is trying to impress upon Daniel. The next 190 years is a way in which God will unravel his saving plan for us. God gives us time on this earth so that we can advance the gospel. We shouldn't waste time just upon ourselves and do things that only provide comfort and enjoyment to us. Time does not exist just to serve us and our comforts. We are here for a purpose, to tell the world the goodness of Jesus, to tell the world that we have a Messiah who is different from all the kings of this world. The kings of this world will not go down into the lion's den and die for us, but this Messiah will we are to invest our time to propagate the kindness of God, to show the world that there is a Savior who loves us and is willing to give His entirety to us, to show us that God has established a new covenant with us, that He will fight for us regardless of whatever that's happened. We need to know that time exists for Him. A successful executive was traveling down the neighborhood street one day. He was driving his brand new Jaguar. And he was watching the kids uh, darting up and down uh, from, the, uh, from the parking lot to the streets and was uh, getting very frustrated with these kids as they were trying to cross the streets and trying to play along to the side of the streets. And as he was driving, suddenly a brick flew his way and the brick smashed into the side door of his brand new Jaguar and this executive was extremely upset so he slammed on his brakes, walked out of his Jaguar and looked around to see who threw the brick and then he saw that there was a kid there who was had the, had the guilty face on his uh, um, on, had this guilt on his face so he dragged this kid up and says What are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Do you know how expensive my jaguar is? Why did you throw that brick on my new jaguar? Do you know how much you have to pay for it? But the young boy was apologetic. He says, please, mister, please. I'm sorry. I did not know what to do. And tears were running down this young boy's face. I didn't know how to stop you. And so the only way I could stop you was to throw the brick because I do not even know what to do. With tears dripping down his face and his chin, the young boy pointed to not too far from the car. He said, that's my brother. His robe has been rolled off the curb and fell out of his wheelchair. And now he's down into the drain and I couldn't lift him up. My brother is handicapped, and I couldn't lift him up. And there was no one here, no one out here who could help me. So I didn't know what to do. My brother was too heavy. In order to get help, in order to get people to notice, I threw that brick at your car. And moved beyond words, the executive tried to swallow down um, his pride and help this young boy helped his brother be lifted up from the ditch into his wheelchair. And there he took out a linen handkerchief to clean up the wounds of the brother. And very quickly, the boy and the brother moved along. The boy pushing his handicapped brother along on the wheelchair, as they say, thank you. Took a long walk for this executive to finally walk back to his jaguar. Because in his busyness, in his own pride of driving, in his beautiful car, he had forgot to look around, to notice that time does not just exist for him to just enjoy his car and his prestige. But there are people around who need to know the goodness of Christ. And so, as the story goes, he kept the dent there to remind himself that there are better things in life to speak and care about than just cars and prestige. Today God has given us time here on earth. Let's not just waste it on time, on, on our own prestige, our own comforts, our own pride, but what are ways we can use and do to advance the gospel show the people around us that there is a Messiah who's a Najit, a different kind of a king who will come and will give up everything for us. Father, as we come to your Holy Word, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. God, I know it's a difficult passage and Father, I pray that I've done justice to it. I pray, Father, that you will once again comfort us, for those of us who are anxious, for those of us who feel desperate, just like Daniel, that we will know that time does not belong to us, but belongs to you, and you have our best interests at heart, and the glory of your Son at your heart. So, Father, give us, thank you for giving us moments in this life. Help us to use them to show the world that we have a great, great Savior. In his name we pray.